I'm excited. Um, we had a very good training camp, uh, but it's time to play against somebody else now. Uh, looking forward to taking the field uh, with the group of guys that we have here and uh, going out and, and showing each other, but also the world we're capable of. Hey everybody, Chris Harry with you on a week one edition of Chargers Weekly. Bolts taking on the Bengals in Cincinnati to kick off the 2020 NFL season. We have a jam-packed show for you this week. To get this week's opposing view, Paul Daner Jr. of the Athletic Cincinnati going to join us. We'll also see what's on the menu. Presented by Subway, Matt Money-Smith with a game preview of Chargers Bengals. But first, he'll be on the call this Sunday along with Trent Green and Melanie Collins, the great Kevin Harlan. All right, my next guest, the 2019 Sports Broadcaster of the Year. He's going to be on the call with Trent Green, Melanie Collins, Sunday in Cincinnati for Bengals Chargers. The great Kevin Harlan joins me, I believe, from Orlando in the NBA bubble, right, Kevin? I'm in the bubble right now and looking to escape like everybody else. <laughs> I know for the Clipper and Laker fans, they probably hope they stick for a long time, and I think both will. But uh, it's been interesting and a nice run-up, actually, to – uh, getting ready for what I think is going to be a thrilling NFL season. And we can't wait. We can't wait to see you on the call Sunday. It just if you could, let's just start with the NBA. What's it been like calling games without fans in an environment like this? Uh, this is just going to be such an unconventional NFL season. You've kind of got a taste of it down in the, in the bubble there. You know, it's been fine. Uh, we're not on the floor. We're up in a phone booth, basically, a plexiglass box that we all are in when we broadcast individually. So we're like on a mezzanine level. Uh, the fan absence is significant, but the league has done a marvelous job in creating uh, in like what is basically a gigantic TV studio, I think a pretty good feel for television audiences um, uh, to hear noise and crowd and see faces and certainly see a lot of action. Camera angles are a bit different, which has been nice, kind of a welcome change. And yeah. out of every challenge comes new ideas, and new ideas will come out of this. I really only hope that the NFL can be as successful as the NBA has been in creating, for the viewer at least, a very uh, as, as much of a realistic experience as possible as if fans were in the stands and everything was normal. No question. And I remember having this conversation with you a couple of years ago, how you have to wait till mid-October till you really see what a team looks like. Now you add in the whole fact that no one has been on the field during the offseason. It was all Zoom, no preseason games, uh, a condensed training camp. Um, we haven't seen what any of these teams look like what do you think football in September is going to look like, Kevin? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, uh, isn't it weird? I mean, it just, yes. it just you don't have any kind of feel for what the battles were, except, you know, the, the little things you read or, or hear about um, you can't see with your own eyes. And, and that makes it very difficult, to be quite honest, going into a season. Um, I personally do the Green Bay Packers television broadcast for the preseason. And if nothing else, by doing those football games, it kind of gives you a little bit of a feel of pace and tempo and kind of get some uh, cobwebs shaken loose after not having done football for me since the Super Bowl. So um, all of it's going to be kind of new. Uh, our, I know we will be actually at the, at the stadium, but with very few fans, if any, and, and as we go week to week, we'll be separated by plexiglass. 
but we will not have had the benefit of anything really from training camp. No tape to watch, uh, very few interviews to, to, to ponder, just, you know, really the written story and some, you know, some, some things that come from the team. And, and we're all, I think, in the media going to be kind of in a run-up stage this first month to learn about the team, new quarterback with the Chargers, certainly, and just all the, the different uh, things that these teams are going through. You know, uh, it's more now than just X's and O's and playbooks and practice and games. It's all the protocol that is going to come with right. every practice, every week of every game in the NFL season. And Kevin, this game in particular, it has some fun storylines, even though we really don't know what to expect. You have the Heisman Trophy winner, Joe Burrow, making his NFL debut. Uh, you mentioned on the other side, uh, the first game since 2006 that there's a new quarterback under center for the Chargers. A really a new era here in this quarterback's room with Justin Herbert and Tyrod Taylor. Uh, new uniforms are moving into a new stadium in week two against the Chiefs. Um, what do you draw to at first glance with this matchup, Bengals-Chargers? Well, um, you know, some of the familiar names are there on defense and certainly Keenan Allen and Eckler, the, the running back on offense. But no Phillip Rivers back there, to be quite honest, is going to be strange. Um, uh, Bosa will be there. You know, like, like, like we've got some of these pillars. I did the last game of Rivers and the last game of last season in Arrowhead, Chargers-Chiefs. Right. So I, I, I feel like I have seen one, you know, chapter close. And I'm going to get a chance to watch the other chapter open, especially at the quarterback position. But, you know, Anthony Lynn is a very uh, solid guy. And, and that team um, has a lot of very good parts. I'm very intrigued by the Chargers this season. Uh, and as we know, in this league, you can go from five wins to 12 wins in a blink of an eye. And, and, you know, and why not the Chargers? You know, every team is, I think, going to be kind of feeling their way through the dark a little bit through – all the different things off the field as well as, you know, a, a lack of a lot of things on the field. A lot of off-season practices didn't take place, as you alluded to, and, and just a real different kind of entry into this season. So I think it's almost impossible to gauge, even with a champion like Kansas City, impossible to gauge what we're going to see, especially in the first six weeks. I think we're all going to be just kind of taking it truly uh, one week at a time to see what teams have have, how they're dealing with COVID. Are there issues related to that that will knock out starters? Is it a widespread league issue? Does the league have it under control? I'm looking today and a couple, three college football games have already been canceled for this upcoming weekend. So, mm. I mean, you know, it's real and it's going to affect these teams. So, so that remains a very dominant story, certainly, as we start this 2020 season. Yeah, Coach Lynn, Tom Telesco said, we have two opponents this year. We have whoever we're playing on Sundays, and we have this pandemic. So yeah. uh, wow. everything that ha has gone on this offseason, and you alluded to Coach Lynn. I just want to get your thoughts on him. I don't know if you've, with your busy schedule, have had an opportunity to watch any of Hard Knocks, but I think the nation is seeing what, what we've been seeing in Los Angeles the last three years in terms of just the leader that Coach Lynn is, um, the organization really taking his lead when it comes to the pandemic obviously on field, um, the social justice issues here in our country. Um, you've had some time to spend with Coach Lynn in production meetings. Just I don't know if you can uh, glean any, any insight to our fans on, on what kind of man he is. Uh, I'm glad you, you ended it. He, he is a man. He is, he is the essence of what it means to be a gentleman. 
and great depth, uh, sincere appreciation, uh, command, presence. You know, sometimes coaches walk in a, in a meeting with us and the presence isn't there. And you can feel it in the first five seconds there in that meeting. Uh, we've always felt it with Anthony Lynn. I, I've got great respect for him. I, I've always admired the way he conducts business. He just seems to have a very logical, practical approach. You know, I know for fans, sometimes things don't happen fast enough, and we're all second-guessing. Um, it, it's so easy to do that from afar than to be right in the throes of the daily grind to coach an NFL team. If I were a Charger fan, I'd feel like I've got more than just a qualified coach but I have a guy there who has, has got some real depth, um, personal conviction, um, qualities that, to be quite frank, you don't find in a, in a lot of the people that we come across. Um, I'm a big, big Coach Lynn fan. Yeah, we are too here in Los Angeles. And, you know, you mentioned just the difference between being 5-11 and 11 and 10-6 and six or 11-5 and five the next year. Two things the Chargers just did not do last year was take care of the football and actually get the football on defense and get it back to the offense. Um, losing Darwin James, obviously a crushing blow for yes. this defense. Yes. But oh. when, you, when you talk about having Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, you, you draft Kenneth Murray, uh, you still have some pro bowlers on this team in, uh, in Casey Hayward, you get Chris Harris Jr. and Linval Joseph. I think the defense is going to be better, but – it can't be overstated. Losing Derwin James, really a crushing blow for this team. It is. You know, his position is so important in the National Football League, and it was. When I read that, I just go, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, mm. just, I just, I felt so bad. We, we've seen now with the Chargers over the last, what, five, seven years, there have been significant injuries, right? And, and, and in a couple of years, I remember looking at my partner then, Rich Gannon, it's now Trent Green, but saying, have you ever seen a team – more injury prone and snake bit almost more than the chargers losing guys at the right at the wrong time. And so, you know, that here's just another continuation of that story. My fingers are crossed that it goes not much beyond James, who's a terrific talent, as we know, you know, a lot's going to gonna hinge on that quarterback and him staying healthy. And, you know, it's a moving pocket and there's a lot going on there. Um, you've, you've lost your, your, Workhorse in the offensive backfield is now at Denver. Um, so Eckler at a very diminutive size becomes kind of a, a focal point. Hope the tight end can stay healthy. You know, I mean, I mean, but you know, listen, we could say this about every team in the That's league. True. There are certain players you cannot lose. Um, and unfortunately, it seems like the Chargers over the years, not necessarily last year, but over the years have lost those certain guys. Um, and then I go back to my original statement and, I just, I just, it's going to be so strange to see that lightning bolt and not see number 17 under center or in the shotgun as he was more comfortable. And, and um, um, that, that's going to be kind of a change of pace. Uh, his fingerprints are on the organization, on the history of the team. He was a terrific battler, uh, historically good in the, in the individual categories. Um, we know that. Um, but, uh, but I can definitely understand the organization's move to move on. And uh, so I wish Philip the best in Indy. And I'm anxious to see how the quarterbacking uh, materializes and develops uh, through this uh, season in the new stadium, as you mentioned, and, uh, and, and another year in Los Angeles as, as the Los Angeles Chargers. 
Kevin, two more for you. SoFi Stadium, I know that you haven't been yet, but you will eventually be there at some point, I'm sure, this season. Uh, what have you heard about it? I, I stepped into it a couple of weeks ago. It felt like I stepped into a video game. Nothing felt real around me. It's just, it was really this indescribable feeling. I, I just wish fans were able to experience it and we were able to get the, the full SoFi Stadium experience of 2020. But nonetheless, it, it is a palace. Well, I have flown over it a couple times. I've not been in it. Uh, I've seen a couple of features that have been done by NFL Network on the new facility. Um, listen, anything that makes Jerry Jones jealous uh, is something I've got to see. Because <laughs> Jerry Jones with the Cowboys has had the stadium. And now looks like the Chargers and Rams are going to share the premier stadium in pro football and a one-of-a-kind stadium in the world. So it, it's a stadium befitting Los Angeles. It's a stadium that will have uh, multiple Super Bowls. It'll be a destination. Um, and I think it's only going to grow in, uh, in, in its reputation. I'm, I cannot wait to get in there and see a game. Uh, it, it, and it's great for these two franchises too. You know, the city of Los Angeles and Southern California should have a premier stadium so I'm glad they've got one built and I can't wait to see it final thing for you you alluded to your new partner Trent Green you have Melanie uh, what's it going to be like with, with with a new crew this year and uh, just a, a new NFL season Kevin well I, I was with Rich Gannon for about 10 years and uh, Rich and I became very good friends and you know that doesn't always happen in this business people think that a couple guys work together for a couple years they automatically have a have a, a you know a pretty good friendship. Uh, I've I've been a network announcer since 1994, uh, beginning with Fox, and uh, I've been fortunate. I've had great great partners through the years, from Jerry Glanville to the late Sam Weish to Randy Cross and uh, Rich Gannon, and and now Trent Green. So I've been lucky. I've worked with great people, uh, but that's not always the case. Uh, Trent. Um, uh, is a Midwestern guy like myself. Um, we've got a Chiefs connection. I did the Chiefs on radio for nine years. And while we didn't uh, intersect and cross over, uh, we both live in Kansas City. Um, so that's going to be fun. Got kids about the same age. Our sons went to the same high school in Great. Kansas City, Rockhurst High School. So, uh, no, uh, we're going to be – we're already friends. Can't wait for the season to start. But it is a little bittersweet because Rich and I became very close. And uh, he, I count him as one of my very best friends and we'll miss him dearly this season. Yeah, well, you know, CBS in general, you guys do fantastic work. And Kevin, I can't thank you enough for your time. You're always so generous and uh, just incredible insight every time we talk. Uh, I look forward to seeing you throughout the 2020 season at SoFi Stadium and best of luck on the call Sunday. Me too. Thank you so much for having us on. I'm, I'm sorry that uh, – uh, for the media, this is going to be kind of a weird season, especially for it road is. games. But like you say, when we get to Los Angeles, I look forward to our paths crossing. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, to get this week's opposing view, we bring in Paul Dana Jr. of the Athletic Cincinnati. Paul was kind enough to come on a couple of years ago. Some great insight. And, Paul, we were just talking offline. We're just happy to have football back on Sunday, my man. 
Yeah, I, I, it almost feels surreal that we're going to be watching a game because you, it didn't feel like we really did training camp. I mean, there was 10 open practices and no games, and it's all of a sudden it's cut down day, and I guess they're playing Sunday, but it doesn't feel like we're ready for that, but I know I am. That, that new cycle of, like, the first preseason game, the third preseason game, uh, the cut-down day, that all got condensed. And, and like you said, the last five weeks have been just a, a whirlwind. But let's just start here. What are the Bengals saying about the Chargers coming to town for week one? I don't – you know what's so funny? Joe Burrow mania is so intense that I don't think anybody, any fan knows who's coming here on Sunday. It doesn't like, matter, right? It doesn't matter because it, these fans have been dying to – I mean, there was a video of literally just Joe Burrow walking from the locker room to the practice field for the first time, and you would have thought they just won the Super Bowl. I mean, fans are just going nuts. It's the idea of seeing this guy play football for the Bengals has – this fan base, so excited. It, they, I don't think they even know. I really don't. I, they haven't spent a second thinking about who's coming here. They're just excited to see their new quarterback and, and this new team take the field against anybody. The Chargers happen to be the team. It, it's probably for the best we don't tell them that Joey Bosa is coming off the edge against your uh, left tackle in his first game. And maybe they should just focus on the, on the quarterback part. Well, let's just get right into Joe Burrow uh, again. Uh, Zach Taylor's only had these guys on the grass for like five weeks. Uh, what have you seen from the practices that you've gone to uh, when it comes to Joe Burrow and just his progression in the offense? Uh, he looks like a natural, and that's easy to say, watching practices and things like that. Um, but there is a – the one thing you worry about with a rookie quarterback, and you guys are you know, talking about this with Justin Herbert too. I mean, you, you, you worry about – command of the huddle and understanding things and making checks and and the ability to to work through those things you know there's maybe an advantage to an offseason of zooms where the mental aspect of being a rookie quarterback um is not really the hurdle here it's just getting used to the speed of things because really they overdid the mental aspect almost because it was all they could do this offseason you had joe burrow in his parents basement screaming play calls and audible calls um, on Zoom calls. And it's, it's kind of a hilarious concept, but that was really all he could do was the mental stuff. So the thing I hear most and saw most was players and coaches were really impressed with how comfortable Joe Burrow is just running the show and, and how quickly he is able to adapt and really feel not like a rookie back there in that respect. And then as far as things you saw of playing football – He's got a real set, you know, you see the accuracy, but you also just see the aggression. He's not afraid in big moments to kind of throw the ball down the field and trust his arm and trust his guys, which is something, you know, out of a lot of younger players, you see a lot of hesitancy and wanting to check things down and be very careful. Burrow kind of has, from what we've seen in practice anyway, shown a lot of the same aggression you saw at LSU, not afraid to go downfield, not afraid to push the ball and trust his guys. And I think that is maybe something that will look different in him than you would see in most rookie quarterbacks. And listen, he's got weapons on the outside. And you mentioned one of them, A.J. Green. We, we know about Boyd and, and Ross and, and the rookie T. Higgins. But let's start with A.J. Green. What have you seen from him during training camp? And you mentioned he hadn't played football in a long time, but uh, it sounds like he's ready to go for Sunday. 
He's ready to go, but you ask me what I've seen, not much. He, the first open practice, he uh, ends up tweaking his hamstring, and there's a real sense of here we go again with this. I mean, this has just been the problem with A.J. Green. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy in recent years. He's just missed a ton of games all of last year, half of 2018. I point out to people, Tyler Boyd, it feels like he's been around for a while. He's barely played with A.J. Green in his prime. They had the first eight games of the 2018 season where Tyler Boyd really had his coming out and became a real guy, and he played with A.J. Green. They were dominant as a combo with A.J. Green as a real one and Tyler Boyd as an elite slot. They both were on pace to cross 1,200 yards and both have about 10 touchdowns. That offense was incredible. People, it seems like, uh, you know, ages ago, but they were five and three with a top offense and literally historically the worst defense in club history. I mean, they were winning a lot of games. A.J. Green gets hurt, Andy Dalton eventually gets hurt in that season, and it never came to fruition. Not until now do you get a chance to see those two weapons play off next to each other again and really put defenses in a tough spot having to decide, do you focus on A.J. Green or do you focus on Tyler Boyd in the slot? And then T. Higgins, the the second rounder from Clemson, uh, the Chargers have a a Clemson wide receiver of their own, Mike Williams, who who got hurt in training camp. But what can you tell us about Higgins and uh, just his ability to connect with Joe Burrow, both his rookies, right from the beginning? I don't know how much we'll see of Higgins immediately. He also had a hamstring injury that kind of limited his participation in summer camp. Now he came back and has been a full participant for a little while now. But as a rookie, I mean, that's important stuff. And they really love the depth of their receiver room. You know, we mentioned – we haven't even talked about Auden Tate yet who might – you know, we saw him come out last year and really have yeah. a big year. He developed a great chemistry with Burrow. He's going to be a super red zone weapon. They've got a lot of different clubs in the bag, to use sort of your golf analogy, where Auden Tate's the big body red zone guy. Ross is the speed guy. A.J. Green is the premier one. Tyler Boyd is the slot guy. They've just got a lot of guys that can do different things. And Higgins, I think, is sort of more of your, you know, A.J. Green eventually, but kind of doing – so I, what his role will be, I don't know. Um, I think they've got ideas for each of those to kind of have their own package, so to speak. And we don't really know until we see it exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know how involved he'll be, uh, but, you know, I think his, his role will increase as the year goes on more so. Which leads me to Joe Mixon, and I had to look this up. 593 touches, Paul, the last two years, zero fumbles. Uh, it seems like Joe Burrow may be leaning on Mr. Mixon, especially early in the year, just the, his ability to break tackles, take care of the football, and get tough yards for the Bengals. Yeah, that, here's the thing. Last year, Zach Taylor came in with this with a whole new scheme and you know the the Shanahan system of running the football that we've seen all over the league now, and uh, it didn't work. Didn't fit Joe Mixon very well. They were atrocious the first half of the season running the ball. They couldn't do it, and they didn't have the receivers to stretch the field on top of it all, and it was a mess. And they ripped it up. They ripped it up and said, "Let's start over midseason." And when they did that. They found out what worked. In the second half of last season, Joe Mixon was amongst the best running backs in football in terms of both efficiency and total production as far as yards go. They found how to make it work. 
them starting at that foundation this year is a big difference maker for why you have belief in what this Bengals offense can be because they know how to get the run game going. They know what Joe Mixon can do and how this line works with him. And uh, that's a big thing. And that makes it dangerous. And I think they feel like they can start off on the right foot. Whereas last year, it took them half a year to even figure out what that foot was. And Paul, the offensive line, you mentioned Jonah Williams going to make his first career start against Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. Just the offensive line in general, maybe starting with Williams, uh, what have you seen from that unit? What do you think that unit's going to look like in 2020 as opposed to to last season? Well, it should be better at left tackle. And they were, they were just a mess over there. I mean, they had guys playing out of position who were out of the league uh, at left tackle because they had no answers. They lost Cordy Glenn. They lost Jonah Williams, both before the season started. Those were supposed to be their number one and two options. Ask any team in the league what happens if you lose your number one and two option at left tackle and have to play a season with it, and they will tell you there's no Stop. answers. Not yeah. in this league. There's barely enough starters in this league, much less third-string guys to step in, and and, and, they, and it showed. I mean, they, they couldn't block anybody. There was a ripple effect on the line that also wasn't super. And um, with Jonah Williams there, I feel like they have stability. And Michael Jordan next to him is going to lean into his second season, and they have a lot of good feelings about him in his second year. To solidify that side of the line that was just a disaster last year alone is a major upgrade. They still have questions up and down the line. It's clearly the liability on the offense, and whether that front holds up or not will be a big defining factor in how good they can really be. I mean, who knows on a lot of these guys because a lot of them are in either their first or second years or definitely are unproven factors. So um, everybody's kind of waiting to see what that looks like, to be honest. But I think there's a lot of confidence in what Jonah Williams can be, and he'll certainly be more stable than what there was last year. Paul, a couple more for you. Let's flip it over to defense because the Bengals, a lot of free agent additions on that side of the ball. You, you got DJ Reader from Houston. You got Bynes from Baltimore, Mackenzie Alexander, Von Bell added to the secondary. How improved is this unit from last year? One of the things the Bengals and Chargers both had in common last year was they could not get the football. I think the, the Chargers had maybe the, the, the worst takeaway number in the league, and I think the Bengals were, were right behind them. So, you know, that's going to be the key to both teams' success this year is can you get the football, get it back to your offense? Yeah, they haven't done a lot of that around here, and I think they purposely tried to acquire people – that can help do that. And that meant really they just needed new players. They needed upgrades at every level. I think they feel like reader. There's a reason they made him the number one priority in the off season. They felt like they needed somebody who could have a ripple effect on the defensive line. And that means help Geno Atkins regain a little bit of his former self. They felt like he just needs somebody next to him at this stage in his career to allow him have more one-on-ones and not allow teams to easily take him out of games with a double team. Reader does allow that, and I think there's ripple effect out to the edges there. Mike Daniels as well, they added, who can kind of be a similar type of player on the inside, and and that can open things up for, you know, they just weren't getting enough pressure to force bad throws into the secondary, and then when they did do that, they weren't picking them. If you look at the last few years, fewest interceptions by a cornerback the last two, three years – the top 10 includes two Bengals, and that was Drake or Patrick and William Jackson, who William Jackson unbelievably only has one interception on his last couple of years. He only had three passes defense last year. I mean, wow. they, now he's back, and he looks ready for his contract year, and he's maybe as most impressive guy I saw in camp was him at the number one corner. But those other guys, I, I think they, it's about tackling in space, 
playing better in space because they just they were off with that. And anybody that saw the highlight of Lamar Jackson spinning them into a into a forever highlight film last year knows how bad they were tackling in space and so they need to be better at that and they added guys with that in mind Bynes run defense DJ Reader run defense Von Bell run defense that's their specialty and so I think they hope to see that uh, immediately and if maybe the pass rush has more balls going out in there where you can pick them off well all the better. Jackson versus Keenan Allen on Sunday is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that, that early matchup here in the season. Uh, last thing for you, Paul, what do you think is going to decide this game? Uh, listen, a lot of guesswork from all of us. We've seen these teams on the field for maybe five weeks. Uh, half of them were not in pads. Uh, no preseason games. No offseason program on the field. That said, we're playing football on Sunday. What do you think is going to decide it? I think – the Chargers strength versus the Bengals weakness and that's going to be the pass rush you know I mean can can this offensive line slow down that Chargers pass rush I don't know how many teams in the league can and I don't know that this unproven group with a rookie quarterback now granted Joe Burrow known noted for his feel for the pocket and maneuverability back there and spontaneous plays made out of that He's also never had to avoid an NFL pass rush. And that's a different ball game than it is in college. And that rush is going to come. And he's going to take on those hits and have to be chased without ever having to do that before. What does that look like? Can they hold it up? Can they keep this Chargers rush from just dominating the pace and the feel of this game? Uh, to me, that's going to be the difference. I, I, and there's variables everywhere. Um, but to me, the number one thing I look at, if that offensive line can somehow slow it down and give Burrow a time to make some of those plays and Burrow can find a way uh, to use some of that pocket presence that we saw at LSU, then, yeah, then maybe they have a, have a chance to put up some points and keep up. But, uh, you know, that's to me the big if on this. Paul, one of the things I love to do during game week is read – and listen to what the opponent is saying, and you're the best in the business in Cincinnati. Where can Chargers fans find your work to get caught up on the Bengals this week? Well, I'm, I'm at The Athletic, uh, along with uh, writers covering every single team, including Chargers. And um, you can also follow me on Twitter, at Paul Daner Jr., and we'll have everything uh, from Paul Brown Stadium. Awesome, man. Paul, thank you so much for the time, man. Looking forward to it. All right, time to see what's on the menu for week one. Presented by Subway, here with the voice of the Chargers, Matt Money-Smith. And Money, nothing's been normal about 2020, but we're playing football on Sunday. I know you and DJ ready to go. No question. Uh, you know, it's it, you kind of see the way it's been working for college where you have a couple conferences playing, a couple not. You have some games firing off as scheduled. You have some getting postponed. And I think when you look at the NFL and, and the separation between, you know, the amateur ranks and the professional ranks, you see the resources that the NFL can throw at this and attack this pandemic and try to make it as safe an environment as possible for each team. Um, and, and look, the money is, you've probably heard the numbers get thrown around. They're talking likely north of $100 million is what it's going to cost the league to to try to keep this thing right and, and get all 16 games in in a full playoff. And, and I'm excited that we're here with so little bumps in the road, uh, seemingly zero hiccups. I mean, when you look at the numbers overall, I know we don't want to talk a ton of coronavirus, but I mean, when you're talking about north of 50,000 tests and, and I think a total of eight players from the time they started, it's pretty darn impressive, impressive what they've been able to put together to get this thing to happen. Yeah, no question. And it all leads up to Sunday. And there's so much guesswork involved because – Listen, no preseason games, no off-season program on the field. 
a condensed training camp. These guys have only been in pads for a few weeks. Uh, you're playing a rookie quarterback with a left tackle making his first career start. I guess what's on the menu for you, Money? What do the Chargers need to do to, to get their first win in 2020? You know, I, I think I'm in the, the same I, – I go back to what you said at the first start – at the start there, which is I don't know. You know, I, I don't yeah. know. I went back and I watched a couple LSU games um, just to kind of remind myself of how freaking good Joe Burrow was last year. And there's just some – like, it's it's so funny when you look at the, the game notes to get you ready for – you know, and they have little nuggets in there and fun facts that you can sprinkle in. Joey Bosa and Joe Burrow were teammates for a season at, at Ohio State. Just to put it in perspective, yes. like, you know, and like one of the fun things that's being thrown around is, uh, you know, that Josh Rosen is younger than Joe Burrow and, and is already on his third team. So Joe's, you know, Burrow's kind of like a seasoned vet. You know, I mean, he's been through it. He's an older, mature guy that is going to be making, certainly the NFL is different. The windows are tighter and the speed is incredibly um, faster than, than what you're used to, even in the SEC. But at the same time, this is, this is someone who's extremely mature, who, who has been dealt adversity, has overcome it, and put together the greatest passing season in the history of college football. So yeah. when I watch him, I don't feel like I'm watching a rookie. It almost feels like Andrew Luck when he made his debut for Indianapolis. So I kind of throw that out the window. Um, now, certainly, he's going to have his hands full with the front from the Chargers. Um, but Joe Mixon had a great close to the season after kind of an up-and-down year. It seemed like Zach Taylor's trying to figure out how best to use him, but this is one of the best complete running backs in the NFL. You know, he, he is not a, a safety valve. He is someone like Austin Eckler that you are looking to get him the ball because he is going to make plays. So, you know, to me, it's job number one is figuring out how to make sure Joe Mixon doesn't have himself uh, a day. Um, two, I don't know. You know, you look at that team and you say, okay, their, their front is probably the best thing they got going, their defensive front, yep. you know, with Dunlap and Atkins and, and Reeder and Hubbard. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, Dunlap and, and Atkins are pretty old. You know, do they still have that juice that they've always had? Uh, I love Reeder. Uh, Hubbard's, you know, kind of off to a nice start to his career. So just kind of going back to what you said, Chris, I think it's a lot of unknowns that we're going to have to figure out through the first quarter and maybe get a feel you know, for, for what Anthony Lynn's trying to do and Shane Steichen are trying to do offensively now with Tyrod and the stretch zone and a new right side of the offensive line and, you know, what, what Gus is going to try to do to, you know, get after a kid that he's known since he was sitting on his mom's lap. You know, I mean, Gus is a friend of the Burrow family and has been for decades. Yeah, you know, I go back to the one constant that we know about that offense, and, and you said it, it's Joe Mixon. Uh, just talking to the guy from the athletic Cincinnati, Paul Daner Jr., 593 touches the last two years, money, zero fumbles. He didn't turn the ball over. He's tough to tackle. So this is going to be a test for another Sooner, a Sooner on Sooner with Kenneth Murray and Mixon. But you got Tranquil, Denzel Perriman. Those guys are going to have to wrap up Mixon and get him down. Don't let him be the focal point of this offense. Um, because to your point, we just don't know what Joe Burrow is going to look like. But you have to assume that he's going to look pretty good, especially with the weapons that they have on the outside. But that's another thing, too. A.J. Green has been limited throughout training camp. But if he's on the field, you have to account for him and, and just assume that he's going to be one of the best wide receivers in football. Yeah, and look, I think that's the other – you know, that's going to be interesting is, you know, they, they play – a lot of nickel, right? The Chargers, that seems to be their their defense of choice is getting those three. And that's, I think, just predicated on what most teams are running anyway. You know, they're mostly running 
three wide receiver sets. And, and I would expect Cincinnati to do a lot of that with, you know, Tyler Boyd, AJ Green, and, and likely Auden Tate, who, you know, by all yeah. accounts seemed to be Joe Burrow's favorite target. And if you remember him from Florida State or if, you, if you've watched any Bengals football, I mean, he's, he's a load. Now, he ain't fast, but, man, he is big, and that is a catch radius. So, you know, it, I don't, I'm anxious to see if it's, if it's Murray and Tranquil. Is it three linebacker sets? Is it, you know, is it dime? Is, is Desmond King out, King out there, you know? So I, I'm anxious to see how they approach that. Cause like you said, Mixon is not your, your typical really good pass catching back. He's big. He's a load between the tackles. He's got soft and sure hands. Uh, and he is a legitimate all around back that just happens to be about two inches taller and 15 pounds heavier than most of the guys that, that can do and have that full complement of skills at the running back position. So it's, it's going to be a chess match, you know, but between Goss and, and what Zach Taylor wants to do and, and how he wants to deploy his offense. You flip it over to the, the offensive side for the Chargers, throw out every offensive number in 2019 with no Phillip Rivers. Uh, Tyrod Taylor under center. Uh, you got two big boys up front in, in Bulag and Trey Turner we haven't seen in this offense yet. Austin Eckler, Justin Jackson. Uh, I, I think the, the formula is going to be run the football, don't turn the football over and, and pick your spots for Keenan Allen and company. Yeah, you know, I, I just got done saying, you know, everybody's running like 11 personnel and those three wide receivers. I think you're going to see a lot of two tight end sets for the Chargers. I think yeah. you'll see Virgil on that side with Sam Tevy, and you're going to see Hunter matched up with linebackers or safeties. And I think that's going to be one of Tyrod Taylor's favorite spots to throw. Um, and, you know, and, and with that, you've got the right side of the line, like you said, that's just chock full of pro bowlers now in Belaga and Turner. And then the left side, you're probably going to have Virgil Green over there, one of the best blocking tight ends in, in all of football um, to try to help solidify and, and just kind of get Sam Tebby settled as he starts his career at left tackle, you know, having played right the last few seasons. Um, and also, I'm anxious to see you know, kind of what's what's happening with Mike Pouncey and, and kind of yeah. where we're at there. So certainly we know that we did not see him in training camp. And, and obviously, if he's out there, you got another pro bowler at center. If he's not, you're probably talking about shuffling Dan Feeney moving over, who I thought plays. I, I, I like him better at center. I, I think Dan plays. They like him at center, section. too. Yeah. yeah, he's to me, that's his more natural spot. Um, and then you kind of figure out, okay, is, is Forrest Lamp what we thought he was when, when he was dominating the Senior Bowl and was a second-round pick of Tom Telesco and just has not been able to shake that injury. But that's the other thing, too, Chris, is, you know, we're going to get to see some injury, some, some guys who aren't injured, who have been dealing with injuries, be it, you know, uh, early in their career, like Nasir Adderley, who we got to see in that, that preseason game against San Francisco, picked off a ball, should have picked off three, yeah. just all over the place. He's going to be starting at free safety with the injury to Derwin James, and I'm excited about that. Obviously, not the circumstances in which he's out there with, with the injury to Derwin, but excited to see him out there. But just kind of going back to your point about what's this offense going to look like, I don't know. And, and, and that's just me guessing that, that that's probably what they're, they're going to do again, because that seems to be the strength of, of Cincinnati is, is that front four. So probably going to get some two tight end sets, you know, and, and we know Anthony wants to run the heck out of the ball. And, and I don't think it's just going to be a two back rotation. I think you will see all three of those guys, Josh Kelly, Justin Jackson, Austin Eckler, because I think Eckler's going to be lining up in the slot. He's going to be lining up outside. You know what I mean? He's so, not even a running back money. He's like exactly. that, that OW, you know? <laughs> he's a, exactly. Offensive weapon. I mean, that is so, and, and that's the benefit they have. Cause you know, then you can just flex them, motion them into the backfield with two, you know, two backs back there. And, and 
keep the defense guessing. And that's, that's what someone like Eckler brings to a, to a football team and, and, you know, that old queen on the chessboard type of piece that, that Shane Steichen can play around with. And Eckler mentioned this in the offseason. Coach Lynch is going to go with the hot hand. He doesn't know how many carries he's going to get. So if Justin Jackson breaks off a couple 10, 12-yard runs to start the game, uh, chances are he's going to continue to get the football. And we saw a little bit of this in week one and two last year, the, the combination of Jackson and Eckler and just what Jackson was able to do in limited touches, unfortunately got hurt. But if he stays on the field money, I'm, I'm just so intrigued by him, the, his running style and how he compliments Austin in the backfield. And then you mentioned Joshua Kelly, who had a pretty good training camp, and he really can do some of the things that Melvin Gordon did last year in terms of getting those tough yards. Well, and I think also the best, you know, I think you always want to try to say, oh, well, what's his pro comparison when we kind of talk about guys coming out of college into the NFL? And I think when you're talking about a new offense, it's like, okay, well, what's the comparison? Well, let's not forget, you know, Anthony Lynn won two Super Bowls under Mike Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan coached under his dad, Mike Shanahan. It's his dad's system. It's Alex Gibbs wide zone. And think about San Francisco last year. It's, it, you know, they wanted it to be Jarek McKinnon. Then it became Tevin Coleman. Then it became Matt Breida. Then it became Raheem Moser. It just, they just kept coming at you in waves. And every single one of those backs, when you look at their yards per carry, it's 4.5, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of what, if you want to know what this offense is capable of, that's sort of what the old adage was about, you know, and Gibbs was the famous offensive line coach who was responsible for that wide zone or the stretch zone, whatever you want to call it. And basically they would say, Hey, we're going to get you three to four. And depending on how good of a back you are is what you're able to get after that. But we are going to create an offense where you are going to have the ability and pretty much more often than not to get. And that's, and that's kind of what you saw in San Francisco. And Mostert with that speed is the guy that separated himself from, you know, Tevin Coleman, who's averaging 4.2, and Breed, who's averaging 4.7. And then you look at Mostert, it's like, my God, he's averaging over five yeah. yards per carry. And I think that's probably what we're going to see. Like you said, when it comes to the hot hand, that's what they did up with the 49ers, and they rode it all the way to the Super Bowl. Hey, final thing for you. One matchup I'm pretty intrigued by as well, Keenan Allen, William Jackson. William Jackson – a lot of people don't know about it. He's a pretty darn good corner. Um, and just the, the chemistry with Tyrod and Keenan early on, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how that looks. Uh, obviously, we know Keenan's going to be in powder blue for a long time now. Um, but, but he's going to be a key to this offense, too. And how they click early on in the season, I'm going to be looking out for yeah, I, you know, we did the Hard Knocks post-show for the, the fifth and final episode, and Tom Telesco came on, and it was right after Keenan, like you said, got that contract extension, making him the second-highest-paid receiver in, in football. And it also came on a day when, when DeAndre Hopkins became the highest-paid wide receiver in football, on a non-quarterback, actually, um, yeah. uh, and on his two-year extension. And, and I brought up to Tom, I said, you know, it's interesting when you look at these players – the top receivers with the biggest contracts. It's Michael Thomas, it's DeAndre Hopkins, it's Keenan Allen. These are guys that aren't burners, that, that aren't 4-3 guys, but they're 4-6 guys. And they slip in the draft into the second round or the late first round. And, and, there's, and, and I said, so what, what do you point to? How is it that that's when you look at the hierarchy of salaries and what teams are willing to pay when you know salary cap is also crucial to manage um, why is it those guys? And he pointed out it's the ability to shake coverage early and yeah. to get open early. And we know, I mean, look, we got a large enough sample size to know Tyrod Taylor 
is comfortable not putting the football in precarious situations. He wants safe throws. And and that's why I think going back to what you said with Keenan versus Jackson, Keenan's got that ability to just break early. You don't have to hold the football and you can find him for, for all those targets and all those catches. Now, will it look like Phillip? Probably not because they're not going to be throwing the ball as much as they did with Phillip last year. So Keenan's not going to get those 145 or 170 targets that he's used to, but I, I think you'll see him continue to be the number one target for a quarterback because of what he's able to do. And that's pretty much shake any coverage out there, except for Derwin during practice, right? Uh, so it, um, I, I'm with you. I think that's going to be, that's going to be something to watch. But I also think, you know, I, I also think like I go back to Hunter Henry and just, you know, that's a brand new linebacking core in Cincinnati. Yes. And with Trey Waynes being out at that second corner position, now you got to shuffle your secondary a little bit. So I, I, to me, that seems to be the one matchup that I wouldn't be surprised becomes, you know, sort of the, the one go-to for Tyrod in, in a lot of this game. I'm with you. I think Hunter's due for, for a big year in, in 2020 if he could stay on the field. And, and then just one to end on, yeah. the turnover differential – last year the difference between five and 11 and and 10 and six they were the worst in the league at turning the football over and then just giving it away on offense so if they can just clean both of those things up in concert you're looking at a team that that can win you know the floor is probably eight nine games then you see what happens so I'm just looking for that throughout the season not just week one is take care of the football and then get a couple for your offense each and every week yeah I think I think Gus put it best, and he just said it's unacceptable. There's no way you, you, you have that pass rush and all those hurries and all those hits and all those sacks with Bosa and, and Melvin, and you don't have the turnovers, and you, you struggle to get off the field on third downs. Now, granted, you know, the most important thing was they bowed up in the red zone and they prevented teams from scoring touchdowns, but at the same time, like you said, if you're giving it away, and, you know, unfortunately last year was – a lot of giving it away, and it was a lot of giving it yeah. away in crucial situations. You know, I'd say you could probably take maybe three to five of those turnovers and say they're circumstance-based, they're end of the half, they're end of the game when Phillip's just throwing it up trying to make something happen. Um, but then you think about the fumble from Melvin Gordon against Tennessee. You think about the fumble against Detroit by Austin Eckler. I mean, those are critical basically wins. Those are wins. You know, the the Detroit game is a win if Austin Eckler does not fumble at the goal line. The Tennessee game is obviously a win if Melvin doesn't fumble at the goal line. Um, So yeah, you clean that stuff up and and the defense, um, you know, they did it without Derwin last year and and they're going to be asked to do it again without him. Now look, if he had been healthy, I think this could have been the best defense in football. I think they would have challenged for that title. Um, Without him, it certainly changes things. But like I said, Nasir Adderley, not a lot of people watching Delaware Blue Blue Hen football, <laughs> but that dude finds the football. He has got a nose for it. And in this scheme, in Gus Bradley's scheme, that high safety's got a ton of opportunities. Um, and and I think I think he's gonna get them. I think he's gonna cash them in because man, he's got good hands and he's got a nose for it. So I'm with you. You know, you bring in Chris Harris. He's a guy that can pick a bunch of balls off. You got Nasir Adderley back there. You keep that pass rush. And then you got two super athletic linebackers that are probably going to be out there in nickel all the time and Tranquil and and, uh, Kenneth Murray. And it's – look, I'm playing name soup now. But, man, it's exciting knowing knowing what the possibilities are on that side of the football. Buddy, I could do this for – 
hours yeah. with you, man. I, no, I just, we're excited, man. It's here. Listen, I'm, I'm happy to, to be doing this with you uh, uh, throughout the season and yeah. just happy to have football back. We'll have a lot more to talk about with, with SoFi Stadium on deck next week against the Chiefs. But in the meantime, let's see if the Bulls can get uh, win number one up in Cincy. And uh, we'll see you soon, brother. Have a great call. All right. Enjoyed it, as always. Looking forward to it again next week. Thanks, Chris. Well, how's that for a week one show? A big thanks to Matt Money Smith, Paul Daner Jr., and Kevin Harlan for joining me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. Remember, be sure to subscribe to the Chargers Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great weekend, and until next time, I'm Chris Hayward.